Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Bum bum bottom, 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 bum bum you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we are unpacking our San Diego baggage while fully in the thrall of the Rat King in our creator corner. We're giving you a little baby recap of our San Diego Comic-Con excursion, then chatting it up with Eric Burnham about Saturday Morning Adventures Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW. You say that we're back from San Diego, Lisa, but I don't feel back. And we are actually still unpacking our luggage in our living room. We haven't taken all our clothes out of their sacks yet. We have not. We definitely are channeling that... Ninja Turtles in the sewer, <laughs> things are everywhere. That is where we feel at equilibrium, is like medium chaos, right? Yeah, I think so. That's certainly how we live our life anyway. Mm -hmm. Of course, there is a part of us that never wants San Diego Comic-Con to ever end. Even though I have now done a full week of work, I should be, my, my jet lag should be adjusted. I don't know what it is about this year, but the jet lag? It's a real problem. I know exactly what it was, Brad. Like, usually when we've gone to San Diego in the past, we have pretty much stuck to our East Coast schedule in order to get into those lines early. So right. we'd get up at like four to be in line by five. Four is being generous. Yeah, we'd get up at two. And oftentimes we're sleeping outside. This was the first year, I think in five years, in which we did not sleep on concrete or grass outside the convention center. And yeah, you're right. When you do that, you stay on the rhythm of the East Coast. And because of everything going on with WGA and SAG and the lack of celebrities, quote unquote, in Hall H, I mean, Hall H was a ghost town this year. It really so was. if you wanted to see that stuff, it wasn't there. So that means you didn't have to sleep out. And if we didn't have to sleep out, that means we got to sleep in. And in sleeping in, yes, we adjusted to the West Coast timeline. So I guess we have to move now. I would love to move. <laughs> Every time we go to San Diego, when we return back to Virginia and we land in Dulles and we step out that step out of that plane and walk into this human mouth of humidity, I'm like, let's move. Let's let's uproot stakes and settle in California. But that would mean packing all of our books. Yeah, which They're is why really, we haven't really moved heavy. out of this apartment. Because <laughs> the idea of moving out of this apartment with all these comics and toys, I mean, that's 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 the real horror. So a week out from Comic-Con and feeling a little groggy, I guess that's not too bad. And we had such a good time at this year's San Diego Comic-Con International. It was our first year as press, and that by itself created a whole new dynamic. I, and I, I love that dynamic. It felt a little bit more like a job, mm -hmm. but a job that you really, really, really loved. Yeah, we got to use a special door one. One time. One time. We went to Hall H once. It was on Thursday for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem panel. 
and they let us in a side door. We're like, what? There's a side <laughs> door to Hall H? And I mean, that, that you, know, we, that, you know, we felt pretty big. All of our chairs were wearing hats that said reserved. That's right. That's right. Those reserved hats were for us. And even though the big story around this year's Comic-Con was like, there's no Hall H, there was Hall H. And at that Mutant Mayhem panel, while it didn't sell out, you know, 6,000 seats, not every one of those seats was filled, still a lot of them were filled. People were Thousands seated. Thousands of people were seated for that Ninja Turtles All panel. the way to the back. Yeah. What were the other big differences that you noticed this year, Lisa, because Hall H wasn't necessarily the hub of conversation like it has been for like the last 12 or 13 years? Well, the exhibit hall had the human beings distributed slightly differently. So it was still very crowded. I don't want to say like, it was like a ghost town in there. It was like, not a ghost it was, town. It, but what you would not have is like those knots of humanity because the cast of Supernatural is signing or something. Right. You felt like all of those people who would otherwise be seated in Hall H are now redistributed in other areas of the convention. Yeah, I would say that the whole floor felt equally busy at all times. And the exhibitors, for the most part, were in great spirits because they were actually selling stuff. On preview night, which was our first preview night, we had one mission. Mm -hmm. Well, we had multiple missions, but our first mission, our priority, was to head to the Skybound booth. And I think it was the first time Skybound had an actual booth apart from Image Comics, to go to the Skybound booth and collect the Daniel Warren Johnson Transformers number one ash can. And you can see video on Twitter, I'm not calling it that other name, or Instagram, or um, threads. We're on all the places. We're, We're on so on many places. places, it's exhausting. Just look for us. But if you go to those socials, you can find a video of Lisa recording me and her. She makes it look like I'm in full <laughs> Conrad mode, like I'm racing ahead of her to get to the Skybound booth, but she's equally racing behind me. It's just my, my legs are so much shorter <laughs> than your legs. I'm just eating your dust. So we're cutting through the exhibit hall, making our way to the Skybound booth, and, you know, we were we were pretty close in that line, but even being pretty close in a line at San Diego Comic-Con means you're still pretty darn far back. And there were hundreds of people who also wanted that Transformers ash can. And when we got to Skybound, we basically had to wait like an hour to get to the front so that we could purchase that $20 book. Yeah. But we did get it. Mm -hmm. And we're like, the comic is so cool. It is. We're thinking about posting a little mini review of the Ash Can on the Comic Book Couples Counseling website. And I mean, we're just so hyped for everything that the Energon universe is doing right now. And I think in years past, if this Ash Can was being sold at the booth, it might not have sold out as quickly mm -hmm. as it did because they sold a ton during preview night. And then by Thursday night, it was sold out. They had no more ash cans for anybody else in attendance. Despite their plans to hold over issues so they could last all four days, which goes to show what pests we truly were <laughs> looping our butts back to the front of that line well it was funny on that preview night when we got there the line was capped but the guy said well well they're gonna open it in like 20 minutes but when you tell a throng of people that they're gonna open it back up in 20 minutes that throng of people just circles like sharks around the skybound booth and then eventually that throng that 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 school of sharks becomes just a clogged wad of sharks <laughs> and then they were like okay okay uh we gotta we gotta we just gotta push this line down the aisle and then push it along the wall and that skybound booth was just non-stop uh for, for really all weekend long yeah. but those first two days especially because of that transformers comic and i think you know because of that hall h situation exclusives in general were a real challenge for people and they became uh, missions. I mean, you really had to set up camp at a lot of those booths if you wanted specific things. And thankfully, that's not really Lisa and I's thing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a few other exclusives. Like we had to go to, you know, Stan Sakai's booth and pick up that Dark Horse Comics preview edition of Usagi Yojimbo, Ice and Snow. But beyond that, we we weren't really, you know, devoting too much time to like collecting Funko Pops or whatever. Plus, don't you have to go through like the portal or whatever? Yes, they still have the portal, but the Hall H situation didn't really affect that. Mm-hmm. It was the things that weren't on the portal, like the Transformers books that became unexpected hassles for Mm. some folks. I think that's just an indicator of what we were feeling of. Like, okay, there's no Hall H, Marvel's not here, whatever. So let's rejigger our priorities. Now all of a sudden, getting this ash can is higher on our priority list. And let's be real, that ash can, no matter whether there was a Hall H or not, was going to be a challenge because the hunger around the Energon universe is so intense right now. But it's like what I said at my panel, like we go to a lot of conventions throughout the year and we cater our experience to what is unique about that particular convention. And for San Diego, that celebrity element is something that we don't get elsewhere. Right. So we would make that a higher priority right. than it would be True. at other conventions. So, like, because that element was pulled out, we got to dig deeper into the comic book presence that is at San Diego Comic Con. And actually, it felt really fresh and exciting. And because it was our first year as press, we really devoted a lot of time to getting in the rooms with creators and having conversations and bringing them back to the podcast. So I, I've i always been on the side that San Diego Comic-Con is the greatest Comic-Con on the planet. Like mm-hmm. people who say like, oh, it's a movie con now or it's Hollywood land. Yes, I understand. But even when it was Hollywood land, you still had opportunities at San Diego that you didn't have elsewhere comic book wise. Like it's still the only con that you can find Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez, right? Yes. It's still the only con where you have Stan Sakai there with a massive booth selling all kinds of Usagi Yojimbo comics, comics that you can't find at Baltimore, even when Stan comes to Baltimore. I think because of this year and its special circumstances, we're going to be doing San Diego Comic-Con differently from this point forward. Yeah, yeah. Something was unlocked in us at this year's San Diego Comic-Con. Hopefully you've already listened to all the episodes that we dropped during the convention. And (laughs) as you may recall in the intros and outros to those episodes, we were really nervous that we were going to be able to do that. And thankfully we were able to do that. We were able to drop one episode a day during San Diego Comic-Con. And if you're just joining to hear our recap today or to hear Eric Burnham talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you should really consider going back and listening to our Julie Sakai and Stan Sakai episode because there are some revelations about next year's 40th anniversary of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Ojimbo and an event they may or may not have planned. Ooh. Links in the show notes. Show notes. But in those episodes, we were teasing possible in-person interviews with a whole bunch of really rad and cool people. And we can now say that we achieved all those conversations. Well, I mean, with the exception of one actor, and it it was a big one, friends. I'm not going to say who it was, (laughs) but if you know Brad and Lisa personally, it would have been a dream come true. Right. And I still have my fingers crossed that it may still happen In the future. But again, we interviewed so many people at San Diego Comic-Con and we will say who those people were and what those episodes are going to be at the end of this episode. We're going to continue teasing until the last second here. We're like Sting. It's like tantric. Just continuing that thought of dreams coming true, having the chance to have these conversations atop the DC Comics booth or within the Image Comics booth. We felt like the coolest kids. Those are just places we never thought we would ever have access to and like it it just goes like well this is the con experience i want to have forever Mm -hmm. and i don't need and comic book couples counseling certainly doesn't need hollywood right nah we're about the books baby it's our time now down here 
In the image booth. <laughs> Goonies reference. Yeah. And the other Eureka moment, because we were not sleeping outside waiting for Hall H, we actually got to attend the Eisner Awards. And it was so special. It was beautiful. Truly beautiful, truly a momentous moment. I'm so thankful that we were in the room when Daniel Warren Johnson won his first Eisner Award for Do a Power Bomb. Yes. I feel like we're personally responsible for that, yeah, right? Yeah, we made that happen. <laughs> that was <laughs> no. us. We made that happen. No, we did not. No, we didn't. Although we did, I mean, we were voters this year. That was the other That's big true. difference. We voted on the Eisners, and I don't want to talk about who or what we voted for, but you know. We voted for Dan, do a yeah, power yeah, bomb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, obviously, we voted for do a power bomb, and it was funny because on Wednesday and Thursday, as we were talking to people about our excitement going into the Eisner Awards, you would encounter people going like, "Ugh, you couldn't pay us to go to that. It's right. so long. It's three and a half hours. Snooze." And uh, I were to tell those people the next time I see them to shove it. To, yeah, be quiet. Go attend the Eisner Awards. If you engage with it as huge fans of the medium and you get to witness these people get their flowers, it's truly special. We got an emotional experience that we just did not anticipate. And I just felt so privileged getting to sit in that room with Lance from Comic Book Keepers and Jeremy from Geekly Grind. Like, I really felt like a fly on the wall of someone's best moment of their career. The setup was so cool, right? So the, uh, what was it, Indigo Ballroom? It was broken up into three sections. The first section is where like the buffet is happening. So the awards are happening in front of the press section and it's all these tables and everyone's like eating dinner. And I was so hungry at that time <laughs> and like watching people get up and go to the buffet and bring back food. I was so tempted just to sneak on over there and score some snacks for myself. But you would have that or like the proper, like the industry is having their award ceremony. And then just behind that are a series of rows devoted to press and Lance, Jeremy, Lisa, and myself were front row of yeah. that section, which was really cool because as people would get up to go to the buffet or as they would return with their Eisners, they would walk in front of us. So like Tom King and Mitch Jarrods would come by, like Jim Lee walked by a couple yeah. times and, and I got to touch Mitch Jarrods' uh, Eisner. I got to spin that little globe. What a teehee moment. I loved it. <laughs> and then behind the press section is the third section. Which is anyone, you guys. Yeah, anyone can attend. Yeah. And I just would really encourage anyone and everyone to attend the Eisners if they like comics. The nervous excitement in that room before the award ceremony began was palpable. These are awards that matter. And I think like... Every and, and just to see everyone all dressed up and a, a tittering around, it was just so sweet. And you're right, because the next day you would go to booths in the exhibit hall and those people who won comics or who won Eisner's, their comics were sold. Image sold out of Do a Powerbomb the very next day. So yes, these awards do matter. But I think like more than sales, it's just that recognition from your peers. It is the comic book industry that it's voted. It's like the same as the Oscars. Right, yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the comic book Oscars and it felt like watching the Oscars, but in a far more intimate setting. Like we all dream, I mean, I don't know about everybody, but I certainly dream, I know Lisa dreams, of attending the Oscars ceremony yeah. someday. We're geeks that way. And I don't think that's ever going to happen, but anyone can really get into the Eisner Awards and experience that nervous energy that you're talking about. And it really is emotional. And if it's emotional for us, as fans of these comics, it's extremely emotional for a lot of the people accepting the awards. Everyone's got their own vibe. Their like own shtick, too. Stan Sakai, he was the first person to win an award that night. He's won a bunch of these. He won for Best Lettering. And he gets up there. He accepts his award. He goes, you know what? I make comics the old-fashioned way. Good night. And then he walked off yeah. stage. He wasn't there to really soak up the moment. But other people, like, this was their chance to, to say thank you to the people who helped get them there on that stage. I loved Tom King's speech because he was which talking one? about... Which one? Which <laughs> one? Uh, I'm talking about the first one. Yes. And then every time he came up to bat, 
<laughs> like after that first one, I was like, that first speech was so great. <laughs> but like him talking about like, you know what? I was nominated for this award last year for a book that was really important to me for Supergirl and I lost and I was crushed. So if you're in that seat today, if you're heartbroken today, keep doing what you're doing because the comic book, like Supergirl's doing great right now. It, it didn't need that Eisner, but Tom did. Yeah. Tom needed that recognition and now he, he has it. <laughs> yeah, and he got so many Eisners. I was still disappointed that Love Everlasting didn't get the best yeah. new series, right? Yeah. I mean, issue 10 just came out and issue 10 is so good. Mm. It is the best new series of the year as far as comic book couples counseling is concerned. I just love to see what people thought was important to say in their accepted speech. Mm. Because like these are a bunch of indoor kids who have created a career around sitting at a drawing board or at a, a like a, a word processor utterly alone expressing their thoughts. It's just touching to me to see them express their gratitude or their surprise or even like their like teehee embarrassment about getting an award, getting to hold a trophy for what they do every day. I was also moved by Hannah Templer when she accepted the award for her Patricia Highsmith uh, graphic biography, Flung Out of Space, that she took that moment to speak truth to power mm -hmm. and to express her disappointment at the Eisner Institution for their non-response regarding Thomas Woodruff's uh, nomination right. and withdrawal. And to get to nearly the end of the awards ceremony where she got up and she was just like, you know, shame on you guys. Mm -hmm. I was like, hell yeah. Really cool. The comics community is so small that when there is a bad actor in the mix, it is even more personal and even more glaring. Literally the people who can make the difference are sitting in that room and they're hearing what she had to say and it was powerful. So whether or not Hollywood returns to San Diego Comic-Con and Marvel Studios rolls out the red carpet and James Gunn puts The Rock back in the Black Adam costume for some pyrotechnics, <laughs> We are fully committed to the Eisner Awards. Yes. We're, it's time for us to just like, that was super beautiful. I just want to hang out with those people and those experiences going forward. My only regret is that I didn't dress up. <laughs> I had a sport coat on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is Brad dressing up. Yes. Like the bar for women dressed up is like so much higher that it feels like an enormous inconvenience, but I think worth it. Yeah, and you know, there's like a little cocktail reception afterward and you know, we were mingling about feeling a little awkward, but it was really neat to, you know, to, to congratulate Tom and Mitch in person, mm -hmm. Dan in person, Matt Bors won something, Scott Snyder won something, Chip Zdarsky. You know, a lot of comic book couples counseling guests won an award that night. That's right. But all the nominations, all those comics are worth your time. Lisa and I together read most of that stuff. We took our voting very earnestly. Very seriously. And we can recommend all of it to all of you. It's worth seeking out. Uh, there's some really special stories there. A lot of them you know about, a lot of them you don't. So when you see that Eisner nomination, put your eyes on it. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to be there when Kyle Starks actually wins best humor related <laughs> comic or whatever. He was talking to Lisa, uh, you know, virtually and, and, and said like, when I lose, message me. <laughs> and we did. When he did not win for best humor publication, we messaged Kyle Starks and uh, he, he, he wasn't bitter about it. Yeah, it was. He's a great follow on Twitter. And his Patreon is exceptional. We just signed up for it so we could demand monkeys stickers That's in the right. Kyle Starks style. I'm so excited. It's going to be on my laptop. Also, I hate this place and all of his comics are great and certainly Eisner worthy. And before we wrap up this little recap of our San Diego Comic-Con experience, Lisa, we gotta talk about your panel, the comics journalism panel moderated by Heidi McDonald from The Beat. 
You were so nervous. I was. All Thursday, all Wednesday. I'm so glad that it was on Thursday because <laughs> if it was on Sunday, I would not have been able to enjoy the con to its fullest. But it went off without a hitch and you were so good on that panel. I know I'm biased. I'm your <laughs> husband, but you were fantastic. You had the audience laughing. And I think also as a result of Hall H not being a hub this year, the panels were stacked with people. That comics journalism panel, which I was expecting to have 10, 15 folks in attendance, had 50 or 60 people it in attendance. It was pretty cool, and it helped. I felt like I I padded the crowd with all of our con fam. They I mean, all showed up for me. <laughs> but um, it was it was a blast. There is like a performance, Lisa, yes. that I need to like believe in. Yes, because, she was like, present. My, my fear is like, I'm gonna go up there and I'm going to have nothing to say and I'm just going to look like a goose you yeah, know no. or, I, I'm, or I'm going to sit there and say nothing no but that was Brad during the Emerald City Comic Con panel I, where Brad was so confident that he got up on that panel and he had nothing to say and then Lisa saved the day oh oh you're talking about yeah that yeah. that was different like luckily that one singing came up <laughs> and I was like the one person on the panel who could actually sing in an improv format um, but I mean, that's completely different. But, but no, but it's not completely different. That was Performer Lisa there. And then Performer Lisa was here also. Yeah. And I think because you had prepared so extensively for that panel, you had several talking points and you were able to communicate those talking points to the crowd and to the others on the panel. And people were really receptive to it. Yeah. Yeah. And we even met Megan from the Library of Congress. If anything came out, if only one thing came out of comic book couples counseling attending this year's San Diego Comic-Con, and it was Megan from the Library of Congress, that that would have made the whole trip worth it. It was so funny because I was like, you know, Megan, I, I, hear, I hear that the Library of Congress has original Steve Ditko pages from Amazing Fantasy 15. And she goes, yes, Brad, that's true. And yeah, do you want to see him? And we're like, yes. So that is a future comic book couples counseling, uh, a little bit of banter that we got to do. We're going to go see those Steve Ditko Amazing Fantasy 15 pages. I think I'm going to bring a pen and I'm going to I'm going to add my little additions. I'm bringing it. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I'm going to sign no, Lisa. them. No, don't sign them. I get, like who put all of these mustaches all over this Ditko yeah, page? But you did have several people come up to you after the panel, wanted to talk to you, wanted to talk about comic book couples counseling. You were a great ambassador Thank for this you. podcast and like all weekend long we had people coming up to us if you were one of those folks Thank you. Yay. It's still crazy that anyone is listening to this podcast right now. And we're so grateful to each and every one of you. And like, we would not have had the access or the opportunities that we did at this year's San Diego Comic-Con without you. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. The other really cool thing about San Diego Comic-Con this year is that it was a big con for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with mutant mayhem on the horizon. It's out now. We've seen it. We enjoyed it. Although there's a lot of stuff that Lisa doesn't like in it. Yeah. And if um, you know Lisa, you know what that stuff is. And I'm so sorry that you have to think <laughs> of me when you see that stuff. I wish that the world was different. But overall, we really enjoyed Mutant Mayhem. But because of Mutant Mayhem, uh, Ninja Turtles was everywhere. Like Paramount and Nickelodeon really sprayed the town <laughs> with ooze. And we love that ooze. And IDW Publishing had a huge Ninja Turtles presence at the con as well. Their booth was great. It was great. Really so dynamic. Bright, very dynamic. I love the way that they set up the lines there. I loved, I loved the carpeting of the IDW booth. Carpeting was a hot button issue <laughs> at SDCC 23. And for the record, I am team no carpet. Why is that? Because what they do with the carpet after San Diego Comic-Con is throw it in a landfill. Right. And that is a tremendous amount of waste. People think that they store the carpet. They do, they not. do not. They do not. They throw it out every year. So they've been throwing out miles of carpet every year. We would recommend- Getting what, insoles. Yeah, and that's what we did this year for the first time, and insoles were perfect. Now, 
Could San Diego Comic-Con improve on other ways regarding access? Yes. yes. Absolutely. I don't think the carpet is the thing. I like not having the carpet. I love that they're not throwing the carpet away every year. It's a tremendous waste of money. And yeah, and our beautiful planet Earth. Yes, yes, yes. But I did really appreciate the IDW Booth's carpet. So squishy. So squishy, so blue. I loved it. And we got to give a special shout out to Greg Katzman, the publicist over at IDW, for hooking us up with so many incredible comics and creators and really hyping the world for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They made a ton of announcements this year. The last Ronin 2, Mm -hmm. it's happening. You'll hear about another announcement within our conversation with Eric Burnham. One of my favorite highlights of this year was we were on our way to the Hilton. We were going up the escalators of the Hilton to an interview, which you'll hear about at the end of this episode. And we heard Brad, Lisa, and we turn around and it's Greg. And he's like, hey, can you take a photo of me and the the fellow? And the fellas were (laughs) Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, and Ben Bishop. And I said, yes, would love to. But you're going to have to take a photo of Lisa and I with the fellas afterward. And he was like, oh. Yeah, we watched the wind go out of his sails immediately. <laughs> but I but I was forceful. And Kevin and Tom and Ben seemed A-okay with it. So I took Greg's photo with the fellas and then Greg took our photo with the fellas. And he took the time to say something nice about our podcast yeah, to them. So yeah, nice. so, you know, just, like, Greg is just the nicest dude in the industry. He's so cool. And he was like, hey, Uh, you want to do some interviews at the IDW booth? And we said, sure. And we were really excited to talk to Eric Burnham about Saturday Morning Adventures, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. As you can probably guess from the title, it's the Ninja Turtles world as experienced in the original cartoon series from 1987. It is the world that first introduced the turtles to me. I'm guessing, Lisa, this is also how you first became aware of the Ninja Turtles? That is correct. Not as early as 1987, but they were certainly ubiquitous in the 90s, and they ruled Saturday morning cartoons. In recent years, thanks to our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series that we did on the podcast a little while ago, my obsession has gravitated back towards the comic books, especially the Mirage Studio years and the Archie Comics years. And I was actually a little surprised that when we read Saturday Morning Adventures Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how much I loved it and how much I was actually missing this cartoon era. The evolution of the turtles in like these like completely separate streams is endlessly fascinating to me because they are all so different. But what Eric has is this complete fluency with the Saturday morning adventures vibe. Honestly, it is like seamless how he transitions into his original stories using this beloved iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It is masterful. Before this interview, we read the first two issues of the new series of Saturday Morning Adventures, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then before we sat down to record this intro and outro, we read number three. And number three has one of my favorite turtle antagonists, Slash. Yes. I had a box turtle as a kid, and I named that turtle Slash. I consider Slash an anti-hero. I mean, yeah. like, I I, I understand where he's coming from, being oh. this kind of removed sibling, yeah, sort of. absolutely. And I, I think the Slash that we're seeing in Saturday Morning Adventures owes a lot to the Slash from the Archie comics era. Yeah. And that version is absolutely an anti-hero. And I, I, like the last panel of issue three, I believe is an actual callback to a specific moment from the Slash Archie version. And it's it's great. The first two issues center around the Ninja Turtles through some kind of fluke of ooze ending up <laughs> Under the thrall of the Rat King. Yeah, so good. And busting into the TCRI building once again. What I love about the Saturday Morning Adventures is it does feel like this wish fulfillment of Eric Burnham's. Like, he's got all the Playmates toys in front of him, and he gets to come up with all these plots. Like, he picks his favorites. I think it's, you know, it it could have been so easy to just start with, like, Shredder and Krang. And Shredder and Krang are there. They're in the background. They're doing stuff. Uh, But to start with the Rat King, I thought was like, ooh, 
Ooh, that's that's what I would have done if I had this opportunity and this talent. <laughs> and then to go from the Rat King to Slash, and it looks like issue four is going to have Leatherhead. Like, he's being very purposeful with which toys he is pulling out of the toy chest. You're going to hear in this interview a lot of ambiance. You are really <laughs> going to get the... Uh, on the floor of the exhibit hall at San Diego Comic-Con experience because Brad and I and Eric Burnham are huddled around the Zoom recorder in the middle of the IDW booth. Which is in the middle of this, like, sea of humanity. We so, were in a thoroughfare. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is a on-the-ground, in-the-trenches interview, and there's a moment where we talk about an upcoming um, event, which has been announced by this point, but I'm not going to spoil it because we treat it like a surprise in this interview. <laughs> and when he is talking about this super-secret event at the time, he has to whisper closely into the microphone. And I have not edited this audio yet. But we're sure it's trash. <laughs> I, I, well, it's, just, it's, 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 it's not a Zoom room conversation. It's not a phone call conversation. It's a conversation that's in the middle of the busiest comic convention on the planet. And I think that actually adds to the vibe. This We are bringing SDCC to you. You are now in the booth of IDW chatting with Eric Burnham. And I think that's what makes it cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like vinyl. Here the pops and crackles. They're part of the experience. So here we are, we're with Eric, uh, right in the IDW booth at San Diego Comic-Con. Super excited to just jump right into talking about Saturday Morning Adventures, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Lisa and I have been reading and rereading it all afternoon. There's a lot of responsibility, I feel like, in writing that particular era of Ninja Turtles, because that's where I became a fan. Lisa's entire family became fans because of Ninja Turtles cartoons. Does it feel burdensome? It doesn't feel burdensome. It feels just, I mean, it's like its like at a convention when you're working on coffee and adrenaline. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, it's, it's the version that brought me to the franchise. It was just pure fun. It made me laugh. There was a little action. And then it made me laugh again. And I loved that so much. I love writing that kind of stuff. So... It's easy to get through, and I worry later about whether people are going to go, this is wrong? You didn't do this right? This was completely different from this episode, but for the most part, everybody's been happy with it, man, and I couldn't be happier that they are. Um, what I think is not celebrated about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles enough is what beacons of, like, optimism and you know, um, positivity they are, and that must be a wonderful headspace to write in for you. 100%. I mean, after the last couple of years, wink, nudge, um, positivity is just a great place to be. It's a great mind space to write anything from. And of course, it also leads to better dad jokes. If I'm, or worse dad jokes, depending on your point of view. Do you find the turtles infiltrating your headspace, your philosophy, anything like that? I mean, uh, Again, the the terrible jokes that I tell are a little bit worse after I finish a script or when I'm in the middle of it. So there is that influence, and I'm sure my friends and family wish that I could turn it off a little bit easier and a little bit faster. But um, but no, I mean it's you know like you said, like we were talking about the positivity. It has put me in a better mood writing the turtles, and that has been a net positive for my life in general. Reading these issues, you have such a facility and a fluency for the turtles because a lot of times when we see them like re-embraced, re they, they embrace the hard, the, you know, the broad strokes. And I feel like you really understand the smaller nuts and bolts that really makes the turtles the turtles. Well, the, the fourth wall breaking, the, um, you know, that their um, interactions are a little bit more complicated and a little bit more subtle than I think they get credit for. Is that an effortful thing for you to get those nuts and bolts? Or is it just because you've been so immersed in the culture that it's just like, it just comes out of you in that way? Um, the immersion hasn't hurt. I've been working on IDW Turtle stuff, you know, of various sorts for about 10 years, 11 years. I mean, so that has helped, but also, I was really into it when it came out, when the cartoon came out, and I mean, it soaked into my brain, so it's so entrenched 
that it's easy to go, no, that's that's wrong. I can't hear the voice saying that. That doesn't work at all. That doesn't make any sense for this. And it's also easy to say, okay, no, no, wait, that's perfect. That that works. So um, when you, uh, you, you... I know, had a follow-up question. Okay. All right, you go follow-up. You Please. go follow-up. Sorry, 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 sorry. My follow-up question is, when reading these comics, it's, all, it's obviously like an homage to us 40-year-olds who loved the turtles when we were young and uh, and there are references like to you know what they used to be and what they used to mean to us when we were children but now announced in hall h nickelodeon and paramount is going to be releasing the 90s cartoons again do you anticipate young kids who rediscovered the 90s turtles coming to your comics and and how does that make you feel i mean i sure hope so yeah i mean i love when people read my stuff and have fun, and I love when it's the whole gamut of ages. Uh, I've, I have had uh, projects that worked in the past, it's come up, and it's, you know, mom and dad and the kids, they're all, we like this, we like this, we like this part, and, and it just, it's so gratifying. And I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited, I, I hope that it, uh, it does, that it just brings people to this, this silly corner of the Turtles verse, and not the, you know, all action, or the all grim, or the, you know, the, the middle ground this is this is i like this corner and uh, i hope other people will uh, enjoy it more when the cartoons come back so being as entrenched in turtles as you are when you do veer off into this particular era of turtles how do you know when you're in the right lane yeah um i i, I do i have been caught with you know this is this is the wrong joke for michelangelo of this comic series to say maybe you want to save it for this one over here uh, but for the most part, so long as I can't, I cannot switch back before between them in the same day. If I can have it like a day between, it's easy for my brain to slip gears. But if I don't have that day, things can get a little weird, and then the notes come. We should change this. We should change this. This should be a little bit more serious, and this should be a little bit more goofy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I haven't made too many slips like that. But you know, they, they do happen. <laughs> what is the process like when you take that break? Like, is it a all right? I need to meditate on this version, like, or is it just it's can just, you turn that switch? It's just yeah, yeah. My brain just needs to just needs the reset to uh, to slide into the different era of the project. Yeah, and it's it's not hard, but it's you know I mean um, the momentum has to be slowed on the thought process is is what it comes down to. Now today is technically in real time it is what is it friday it's thursday lisa. it's thursday today oh my goodness <laughs> day one lisa so we have to be very quiet but yes. on saturday yes there's been a very exciting announcement oh, yes. do you want to talk a little bit about that hush oh, hush very hush hush okay so the decade ago mateus santaluco and i worked on a miniseries called secret history of the foot clan and now we're doing a miniseries called The Untold Destiny of the Foot Clan. So it is a sequel, and it is not a sequel at the same time, but it follows uh, Karai as she sets off on a new path for the Foot Clan, what her goals are going to be, just as the untold history, the secret history rather, was all about uh, Shredder's inside and how that shaped the modern Foot Clan. Uh, this is going to be a little bit about Karai and her inner circle and how she hopes to shape it going forward and what complications there may, may be for uh, her shaping it the way she wants to. Oh, I love that so much, bringing more nuance to those characters that, that have been in the shadows or been, you know, that's exciting. I'm excited. Oh, it's so much. It's so much. I love writing Karai. It's the closest I'll get to writing Batman. Um, <laughs> she is I so much that. fun. Yes. Talk a little bit more about that. Nope. Like that, those parallels between Karai and Batman. But, well, but, I mean, okay, so the Batman that I'm familiar with that I grew up with, he was very serious but still had kind of a wry sense of humor, which I give Karai a wry sense of humor. She's not a robot. Um, there's there's plenty of action and just the tiniest bit of heart, even though she's a villain and will absolutely do villainous things. Uh, I, I, I like to remember that, that all the villains are also humans, well, and praying aside. All the, uh, <laughs> all the ninja villains in the Turtles franchise are still humans and they still have shades of good and shades of awful. And that has, you know, we've, we've done that in the, uh, the mainline IDW comics. Um, and we, you know, it uh, it only makes sense to keep that uh, keep that going. I mean, Shredder has has been, you know, uh, massively fleshed out, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, brought over to the good guy side in in many ways. And so, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how we can flesh out Karai, and will she go the same way? Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll get worse. <laughs> um, but it's it's going to be different seeing um, how the challenges of being the only leader with nobody saying, okay, no, maybe do it my way. I think. Um, 
one of the great things that IDW has done with the Turtles brand is exactly what you're talking about, where the, the, the villains, we understand motivations behind them, we understand their history, easy to empathize with them, and also the heroes are not as squeaky clean as, well, the Saturday morning cartoon version sometimes were. Correct, right? yeah. yes. So, I mean, yeah, and, and it's, it, makes it, um, it makes it fun to write in a different way. You know, it's 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 easy to write something that's a little bit more relatable. Yeah. Yep. And just like finally, you know, working in this world, the turtle world, I we're going to get another pop this year because of Mutant Mayhem. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to return back to that first question, just like the responsibility of working in this world. You are really used to it by now, but you still also have to like pinch yourself uh, writing yeah. these characters. Oh yeah, it's, I I cannot believe I have such a cool job. I cannot believe I, I you know, I occasionally imagine telling my younger self the the stuff that I'm getting to do now. Yeah, you get to make up stuff about the Ninja Turtles and they pay you. There's money. <laughs> oh my god. Um, it's it, I, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm stumbling, stumbling and stammering because it really is. It is a dream. Uh, it's so fun. So then, having worked in it as long as you have with these characters. You don't have to say what it is, but if you want to say what it is, feel free to do so. Mm -hmm. But is there something within this world that you're still aching to touch? I mean, boy. Yes, yes. You, there, you, you've contributed a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's there's always there's always a little thing uh, that was in one of the books that could lead to something fun, and I might not even know it until... You know, I start thinking about it, take a look, but I know that there's an issue in the back of my head to do to do things, even if I'm not, you know, it, it's the convention. My my focus is not what it should be. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, no, there's there's always stories I want to tell. I'm not bored of telling the stories yet, and um, there's so much in this universe across every iteration, some of which hasn't been seen, uh, hasn't been, you know, appearing in the IDW version or has never appeared in the 87 version that could, you know, maybe sneak over there for a very different take. And that's exciting. I mean, um, you know, just look at the, as a, as a possibility, not an announcement, maybe some of the original IDW villains, what would they be like in 87? You know, yes, that please. kind of a thing. It's, you know, I mean, so you start thinking about those possibilities, and if you can get everybody to say, yes, you can do that, it, it becomes interesting. So I'm hopefully, you know, one day. Well, you are the kid with all the cool, cool toys in your toy box. And oh, that yeah. That is really, really rad. Yeah, yeah. You're the kid with the Terrodrome. Yes. Technodrome <laughs> that I never had. So. At this point, I, I was just looking at going, I think I've written everything I loved in the 80s. Yeah. Should I move on to the 90s? No. I'm uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's I, again, it's a dream, and I, I'm... I just can't believe it. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, thank you for your turtle service. We appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Eric Burnham, what a nice, kind, creative guy. Yeah. Like, he teases himself a little bit at the end of our conversation about, like, maybe could I move on to the 90s? But, like, honestly, he is, like, living yeah. the dream. Who doesn't want to just spend their entire adulthood just playing with his toys. Living the dream and doing it well for the rest of us. Yes. Because there is a version of Saturday Morning Adventures Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that could be insufferable or boring or rote. And that's not what the series is. I think he is really nailing the tone and the character and updating it just enough to be a contemporary comic. These turtles that we love so much, this iteration of them could not be in better hands, in my opinion. And what I love about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I'm sure we said this when we talked to Brian Young about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990, but what I love about this franchise is that almost from the very beginning, reboots and reinterpretations have been built into the franchise. You know, Eastman and Laird, they created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, those early Mirage comics, they have their own vibe, and then the toys come out, and the cartoon, and it has its own vibe, and then the 1990 movie comes around, and it smashes those two things together, and then just from that point on, the Ninja Turtles have been constantly being rebooted, and in each reboot, some creator has added some new wrinkle to the franchise, some new point of view, and it's those new points of view that 
continually re-energize the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And we don't let it offend us too much. Or, you know, like, like we don't let it mess with our own headcanon. We're each carrying our own version of the turtle. Well, like, every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, like, every Batman is valid. Mm-hmm. That's, like, my takeaway. And when I go to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, you know, from Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen's production company, it is not my ultimate version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, Mm -hmm. it changes a lot. Like, the origin of Splinter, which has been tinkered around with also since the beginning. Like, the cartoon version of Splinter is not the comic book version of Splinter way back in 1987. They changed it right there. And they change it again. Just by casting Jackie Chan as Splinter, you, you gotta do something different. You can't have the Japanese background of Splinter in Mutant Mayhem. And I think for me, like, uh, you know, like, do I love that section of Splinter being removed, that section of the Ninja Turtles origin being removed? I don't know. I kind of like how this new version of Ninja Turtles uses Splinter, who's grown up in New York City, and he's faced nothing but adversity and onslaught from humanity, and that developing into a hate Mm -hmm. of humanity. And then you get the Turtles, he's raising them, he's raising them to be fighters, because you have to be a fighter in this New York City, but they have this infatuation with humanity and they kind of pull Splinter out. And then by being pulled out, Splinter meets Superfly and Superfly is this ugly reflection of Splinter's hatred. I like that idea. I don't know if Mutant Mayhem necessarily pays off on that idea. Um, They chose to dig more into the turtles' teenageriness. Which I think is great. We've never had Ninja Turtles that sound like actual teenagers. And also their outsiderness, like this idea that they do want to be admired. They do want to be part of the greater global community because who wouldn't, who doesn't want to be seen and heard? But in prioritizing that angle, there there has to be other things that are left out. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, on a first-time watch, you have to, like, reckon with those changes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the great thing about a franchise like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Batman or Superman or Spider-Man is that they've been around for so long. And in that timeline of existence, there is a turtle for you. Yeah. And so if this new turtle movie doesn't do everything right as the way Brad sees it, you don't have to be mad about it. Right, right. Like, right. And that is Brad actually. It's not actually, an attack, Brad. That's, yeah, Brad is talking to his inner child right now. <laughs> I, I really am. I really am. But there's like all the good in Mutant Mayhem outweighs those like little niggling things that I have. And the animation style is so fresh, so clean, so singular. And the voice cast is top tier. I'm so excited for this franchise to do well. I want sequels in this vein. I'm ready for Mutant Mayhem 2 and whatever TV show comes afterward. And like, you know, the Archie Comics Ninja Turtle fan loves all the mutant animals that are in Mutant Mayhem. Uh, You know, some might say too much, but no, (laughs) you can never have too many mutants, right? I don't know, maybe. You know, (laughs) again, like Rocksteady and Bebop, I love those guys. Do Rocksteady and Bebop make the decisions that my Rocksteady and Bebop would make? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I've only seen it one time. Yeah. Lisa and I, we're going to go see it a second time. Today, Actually, not today, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. As you're listening to this, if you're listening to this real early, you have a chance to join us at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia at 6 o'clock on Saturday to see a screening of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Now, you could go see it at any movie theater at any time. Why and do you want to go? And perhaps you have. And perhaps you already have. Why would you want to go see it again or at this particular screening? Well, we're doing our trivia. We're giving off prizes. We have IDW comics to give away. We have Playmates toys to give away. We have a gummy pizza candy <laughs> yeah. to give away. A whole, not just a slice, the whole Megilla, the whole gummy candy pizza. It looks so gross. It looks disgusting. We bought two. We're going to have to eat one. Yeah. For me, the great thing about seeing a highly anticipated for me movie a second time is because 
I now get to watch the movie without my checklist out. Mm, like yeah. we had seen 20 minutes of the movie at San Diego Comic-Con for their huge big panel in Hall H. And uh, so, like, as I'm watching the movie, I, my brain is going, ding, I saw this at Comic-Con. Ding, I saw this in the trailer. Ding, this is new material, you know, new to me material. So, like, it is good to watch a movie for a second time separate from that anticipation of watching it for the first time. Like, the entire time you're sitting in the chair going, like, I'm watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem for the first time, and I'm going to say this about it, I'm going to say that about it. Like, anticipation is the enemy of a good time. Right, right, and so right, now right. I get to watch the movie again without that without that little element yeah, haunting the experience. We've talked about that before, but the second watch is really when you enjoy something. Because it's really when you actually see the movie. Exactly, because you've shed those expectations. And what I think the greatest element that Mutant Mayhem contributes to the concept of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is that leaning in on their teenagerness yes. and then following through with it because this movie goes places and leaves the turtles in places or certainly in a place that they have never been left before so that when we get a sequel to Mutant Mayhem, it will be something radically different than any other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles iteration that we've gotten, whether that is in the cartoons, the comics, or in the previous movies. Yeah, they're not they're not afraid of taking a big step in a new direction. Yeah, and how could you not be excited about that? Because the movie has so much vomiting in it. That's, that's how. As a person with a metaphobia, I, I, yeah, I, way more vomiting than any other Ninja Turtles thing. Yeah, and I, I gotta say, it was, I don't want to say it was hilarious, Lisa, but when we saw those first 20 minutes at San Diego Comic-Con and we were in love, we came out of that Hall H panel, we watched it with Brian Young, the turtle dork, and we were beside ourselves in our excitement because what we had seen in those 20 minutes was so perfect. It was everything we were hoping the movie would be. And then when we're in the theater watching Mutant Mayhem for the first time, like minute 21, like the minute after <laughs> those 20 minutes is when the V scene happens. And then it just keeps happening and keeps happening. And then they return to it. There's a callback to there's it. There's a callback to it. But... And you, you felt like I felt as someone married to a metaphobe, I felt betrayed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, super. Ninja sucks. Turtles, not you. So um, uh, if you are at, yeah. if you are at the Winchester screening, you can anticipate watching Lisa get up yep. from row two and walk out and for walk about out. three and a half walk minutes out. and walk back in. But I do think that for the most part, everything around the, those awful sequences uh, is pretty damn good. I know. That's that's really what makes it heartbreaking to me. But now that I know where those scenes are, I'm going to enjoy the movie a whole lot more. Yeah, and we're going to take full advantage of the Alamo turtle menu. Yes. Order some ooze juice and order a pepperoni and pickle pizza. Or those donuts. They're yeah. so good. Turtle loaded donuts. Very, very tasty. Uh, yeah, and so that's going to do it for this week's episode. Not this week's episode, this we're episode. Do we're doing another little marathon of CBCC, getting all of this CDC, mm, hard to say, CBCC, SDCC content. That's out. right. So this is really just part one, and I think there's, what, five episodes coming right on the heels of this one? Our next episode will be a conversation with Jamie Lee Curtis, Carl Stevens, and Russell Goldman about their new Titan comic, Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. Do not miss that conversation. We also have a chat with Nicole Maines talking about Dreamer. So happy to have her back on the podcast. And then we have a conversation with Todd McFarlane that I guarantee you have never heard before. Now, Todd's been on the show before. He talked about Batman Spawn a little while ago with, with Greg Capullo. Uh, but this one, this is actually not really a comic book conversation. This is a conversation about Todd McFarlane's life philosophy, and we were not prepared to have it, but once he made it known that that's what he wanted to talk about... We just rode that wave. We rode that wave. So do not miss the Todd McFarlane conversation. And then we have a chat, a roundtable interview that we did with our friends Jeremy from the Geekly Grind and Lance from Comic Book Keepers with the masterminds behind the Energon universe, 
the Energon universe, Robert Kirkman, Joshua Williamson, and our bud, Daniel Warren Johnson. Yeah, that's a whole other SDCC experience that is really special for us, like the, the round table interview. It's wild. So I guess in our own way, we are still CBCC at SDCC. <laughs> the content is still coming out. We haven't talked about all of the comic book stories we went to. We haven't talked about all of the single issues we got. So if you are not yet subscribed, you're going to want to smash that subscribe button. That's like a YouTube thing, but you can still do it here. You can smash you a button. You can smash our subscribe button. It's a free country, <laughs> well, for now. So, Brad. Yes. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, not for much longer. When does Stitcher end? At the end of August, I think, the 29th. YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. You should really listen to our conversation with Daniel Warren Johnson over there talking about the nom number nine. Yes. And if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter. I refuse to call it by its ridiculous rebrand, Threads, Blue Sky, Hive, Facebook, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, which will be real darn soon, <laughs> keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You, how do I say that word? You, is it you?